I've been preaching sermons on the crucified one, and um, tonight I have something that I believe will open your eyes in marvelous things. I preached from Psalm 22 back several months ago, the Psalm of the Cross, but I want to talk to you tonight about the crucifixion psalm, which is Psalm 22. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Now, the first part of Psalm 22 is the torture that Jesus took on the cross from verse 1 to verse 21. But in verse 22 through 31 is the victory that Jesus got over the cross. Victory over the cross. And I'm going to read the first few verses, and then we'll get into this psalm and let the Lord speak to our heart. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the words of my roaring. Oh, my God, I cried in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, I am not silent. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. For our fathers trusted in thee, and they trusted, um, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I... Am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, despised of the people. All they that see me laugh to scorn. They shoot out their lip, they shake their head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighteth in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me, strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped. Upon me with their mouths, as a ravening, as a roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a putcher, my tongue cleaveth to my jaw. Thou hast brought me into the dust of the earth. For the dogs have compassed me, and the assembly of the wicked enclosed or surrounded me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare at me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon their vesture. But be not far from me, O Lord. O oh, my strength, hasten or haste thee to help me. 
Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorn. I want to use for a subject tonight just what I said a moment ago, the crucifixion psalm. You may be seated. This Psalm 22 is the Old Testament bedrock of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Psalm 22 was written and given into the canon of Scriptures back by King David. 1,000 years before Jesus Christ came to planet Earth. Notice I didn't say he was born to planet Earth. He came to planet Earth. He's the sovereign God of all the universe. And 1,000 years in this Psalm 22, David describes the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Now, some Bible scholars think that maybe David probably at least joined in some of these sufferings. I don't think that's the case. I don't think David, even though in all of his suffering, I don't think that he really qualified for such the, of the pain and agony that Jesus Christ went through. But we know that according to Acts chapter 2, verse 30, Apostle Peter said that David was and is a prophet. When we think of David, we think of him as King David. We think of him as the sweet psalmist of Israel, the friend of God, one that is loved of God. We think of David as that incredible leader, the second king of Israel. We don't think of him as a prophet. But according to Peter, in the second chapter, verse 30, David is a prophet. And Psalm 22 proves that, proves to us that David, King David, was not only a king, but a prophet. 1,000 years before Jesus Christ came, David explains in prophecy exactly what Jesus Christ, the Messiah, would go through in the crucifixion psalm. About, well, a thousand years before Christ, there was no such thing as crucifixion by the cross. It had not been conjured up in the evil minds of wicked people yet. It was the Assyrians that came up with the crucifixion on a cross about seven or eight hundred years prior to Jesus Christ coming. But yet, David says in this Psalm 22 that this person, and that person we know is Jesus Christ, would be crucified. Now, crucifixion was, it actually began with the Assyrians, but the Roman soldiers perfected it. And the cross was meant to inflict as much suffering as possible. They didn't want anyone to die too quickly. They wanted him to die slow on the cross. It was a painful, brutal, agonizing death on the cross. And the Roman soldiers seen to it that it was, 
hideous, driving spike nails to their hands, to their feet. Some were tied, but Jesus, according to Psalm 22, he had his hands pierced and his feet pierced. He had nails driven, the Messiah. Now, I'm going to point out some things, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the exposition of this psalm, but I do want to point out something that many of us in reading it miss out. The first 21 verses is the torture of Jesus Christ or the Messiah on the cross of Calvary. The last, verse 22 through verse 31, is the victory over the cross. So between verse 21 and verse 22, there is a resurrection. Because after the resurrection, verse 22 goes on and talks about the excellent declaration of the name of God and Jesus singing and praising God in the congregation of the redeemed and how many would come to know Jesus Christ that had fallen in the dust of the earth, verse 29, and how there would be an incredible generations and many people that would come to know the Messiah in verse 31, a people that shall be born in the future. What a psalm. What a crucifixion psalm. I want to show some things, and once again, I'm not going to spend a great deal of time exegeting this or sharing the, the scriptures. You, you know that when you read, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me, that rings a bell. That's, that's, that's the voice of Jesus on the cross. You can read about it in Matthew 27. You can read about it in Mark chapter 15. You can read about it in Luke 23. You can read about it in John 19. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He hangs on that cross, the Messiah. And he said, I cry in the daytime and I cry in the night seasons. I'm not silent. But the declaration in the pain and agony is, but thou art holy, O thou that inhabits the praises of Israel. Israel is excited about their Jehovah, the great I am. Notice in verse 4 and 5, the fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou delivered them, and cried unto thee, and were delivered, trusted in thee, and they were not confounded. In other words, the person on the cross here, his name is Jesus Christ, and he's saying that the praise of Israel, they passed through the Red Sea, the praises of Israel, they were fed manna and, and a, a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. The people of Israel seen miracle after miracle after miracle. I've cried out to the God of Israel. He inhabits the praises of his people. And then he says, the people have got so much to be grateful for and hanging on that cross, the Messiah is sharing praise to God even though he felt abandoned. My God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? Verse 6 says, but I am a worm. Israel is praising, they're shouting, but I am a worm. 
and no man. Reproach of men. This is in Isaiah 53 as well. They laugh at me and scorn me. That's all in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. They shake, put out their lip. They shake their head. He trusts in the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him now. That's all statements at the cross. If you be the Christ, save thyself and us. If you hear from God, come down. And Jesus refused to come down because he was going to go all the way through to bring eternal life to you and I. Isn't that good? They mock him, they criticize him, but thou art he that took me out of my mother's womb. Thou didst make me to hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. The incarnation of Jesus Christ. God robed in flesh. And God said from my mother's womb, on my mother's breast, I've grown up in Israel. I've grown up in the streets of Jerusalem. I've grown up. And now I hang on a cross because Israel has rejected the Messiah, the King of Israel. He said, I am a worm. I read in the New Testament where Jesus Christ said, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the water of life. I am the true vine. The list goes on. I am the great I am. I am that I am. But here on the cross, he says, I am a worm. I think it's interesting that the phrase was used as worm because the scripture is sharing that though your sins be as scarlet, they should be white as snow. And there was, in, in, in that day, the time of Christ, there was a worm called the crocus worm. The crocus worm would always lay its eggs. The mother would die on a piece of wood, a tree. She would lay her eggs. She would die. When she died, she would rupture. And on that wood would be red, bright red juices from that worm. And they would take the juices from that worm, bright red, and they would use it to dye garments. One thing interesting about the crocus worm, when it died on the tree, three days later, the red, bright red Juices of that worm would turn snow white. But they would grab the juices to dye garments to, because it was a potent juices from the worm. And Jesus died on the cross. And he shed his blood to wash our sins away to cleanse us from our darkness, from our wickedness. Though, though our sins be as scarlet, they should be white as snow. He washes us clean by the red blood of Jesus Christ, only to find ourselves three days and three nights later after Jesus Christ arose from the grave, snow white, righteousness in the power of Jesus Christ. 
Wow. He said, I am a worm. Yeah, he's the bread of life, too. He's the water of life. He's the light of the world. He's the true vine. He's the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. But yet, Jesus Christ dies on that piece of wood. Now, David didn't know him as Jesus Christ, but he's prophesying about one that would die. And he's describing a crucifixion. And in describing this crucifixion, he's describing the agony, the rejection, the suffering of the Messiah on the cross. I don't think David ever went through this, but he prophesied this. And it's important that we understand that all these scriptures from verse 1 down to verse 21 is talking about the suffering of the Messiah. But somewhere between verse 21 and 22 is a resurrection. On the other side of verse 21, verse 22 says, I will declare thy name unto the brethren in the midst of the congregation. I will praise thee. Notice you say, when did this happen? Verse 21, the middle of the verse. Thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorn. You heard me. I cried, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I cried out. I was under deep persecution, deep bloodletting, deep suffering. And I cried, save me from the lion's mouth, from the devil's mouth. Save me from the wrath of the, of the wicked one. For thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorn. Now, I know what I'm about to say, so I'm going to shout before I say it. Woo! Glory to God! The unicorn was probably a rhinoceros. But when you study about the bulls, the oxen, you learn that Matthew, Jesus, is king of kings. He's the king of Israel. Mark, he's a servant. He's an ox. He's a laborer. Luke, he's the son of man, God coming among us, the son of David. And John, he's God. But I want you to notice According to the fourth chapter of Revelation, there was a beast. And that beast had the face of a lion, a man, an ox, and a flying eagle. All representations of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Why the big deal about the unicorn? I've been delivered among the unicorn, the horns of the unicorn. Why is it a big deal? Well, let me stop and because I know what I'm going to say. <laughs> Woo! Glory to God. Save me, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorn. Now, while he was on the cross, while he was suffering, God hears him and God answers him. Jesus is being 
pushed down into the dust of the earth, being pushed down into the darkness of the grave. But like an ox, like a strong rhinoceros, a strong bull, an ox, when you're stuck in the mud and the debris of death, and the Savior was stuck on the cross of Calvary. When you're stuck and you need pulled out of the muck and the death and the sewage of death and the sewage of hell, when you're sucked down into the dust of the earth, sucked down into muck and mire of the sin of humanity, for he was made to be sin for us who knew no sin. You know what an ox will do? According to the fourth chapter of Revelation, there's an ox, and it's point, it refers to a cap. It, Ezekiel refers to it as an ox. And they always offered bullocks, oxen. And you know the strength of an ox? The strength of an ox. You see, Jesus needed the strength of an ox. He needed the majestic power, majesty of the horns of a unicorn. The strength was in the horn. The ox, would, you get an ox and you try to pull something out that's stuck in the mud. Let's say something's stuck in the mud all the way up to its chin and you can't get it out, but you'll put that You'll put that uh, oxen, you tie a rope around the, a vehicle or a chariot or whatever the case may be that's buried in mud. And that ox will begin to pull on those ropes. That ox will begin to pull and pull and pull and pull. And it'll pull in the mud, the muck and the mire. It'll pull and it'll pull down to where it gets down over its knees and the old ox will get down on its knees and it'll pull and it'll pull and it'll pull and it'll pull on its knees until it delivers that which it's tied to and I want you to know Jesus Christ was tied to the promises of God and God pulled and pulled and pulled and pulled until he came out <laughs> victorious over the cross No wonder I shouted. Amen? So between verse 21 and 22, there's a resurrection. And it's obvious that there's a resurrection. But let me point out something before we go any further. The Bible is very clear that, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Let me show you something that is majestic, that's mysterious, that's powerful. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Are you getting anything out of this tonight? 2 Corinthians. If you're not, I, I'm not going to apologize for your ignorance. But anyway. Oh, I'm being really nice, ain't I? Second Corinthians 
chapter 5, verse 19. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, but has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors of Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he has made Jesus to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteous of God in him. Two verses. To wit, God, verse 19, was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. I will agree that God was in Christ when he raised the dead. I agree that God was in Christ when he cleansed the leper. I agree that God was in Christ when he, uh, when he healed Peter's mother-in-law. I agree that God was in Christ when Jesus Christ turned the water into wine. I agree that God was in Christ, the Father was in Christ when he, when he cleansed the leper and when he uh, caused the lame to leap for joy and opened the blinded eyes. I agree, but that verse isn't saying that. The verse we're reading is God was in Christ while he was hanging on the cross. Wow. You say, I don't believe that. Look at at verse 19. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Let me ask you, when did he reconcile the world to himself? On the cross. When did he not impute our trespasses unto us? When he was on the cross, he committed unto us the word of reconciliation at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. So God was in Jesus Christ while he was hanging on the cross. The Father was in Jesus Christ. The fullness of the Godhead was in Jesus Christ. Explain that. No, not going to. It's too glorious and wonderful and magnificent for me to ruin it by trying to explain it. And he had made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be the, made the righteousness of God in him. Let me ask you, who could make Jesus to be sin? Could we? No. Who could possibly make Jesus to be sin? Who, who, who's the only one that could ever make Jesus to be sin? Now, he didn't sin. He knew no sin. But who had only the power to make Jesus to be sin? That we might be the righteousness of God in him. Only God. The Father is the only one that can make Jesus to be sin who knew no sin for us. God is the only one that can reconcile us and bring unto us eternal life. God in him alone. (laughs) I mean, if that doesn't If that doesn't light your wood, your wood's wet. Amen? Now, I want you to notice something. This is very important that you see this because you see the whole atmosphere change in verse 22. God hears this one suffering. We know him to be our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And what does he say in verse 22? I will declare thy name unto my brethren. 
In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All ye, the seed of Jacob, glorify him. Fear him, all ye, the seed of Israel. For he had not despised nor abhorred the afflictions of the afflicted. Neither hath he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard. My praise shall be of thee in the congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. The meek shall eat and, the, and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. How's that for John 3.16? Your heart will live forever. How's that for Jesus saying to the man on the cross, when he said, Lord, remember me when you come and sign in the kingdom. And Jesus Christ said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. How's that? Jesus, the Lord of glory. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. The meek shall inherit. The ends of the world, verse 27, shall remember and turn unto the Lord. And all the kindreds of the nation shall worship before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's. And he is the governor among the nations. All they that be fat upon the earth shall eat and worship. All they that go down to the dust shall bow before him. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. None can keep himself alive. No one can keep his soul alive. But Jesus, a seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come, and I shall declare his righteousness unto the people that shall be born. Future, that he had done this, this wonderful thing. Amen? I want you to notice some things. And I'm just about done, but I want you to notice some things. That has brought me to the dust of the earth. That's in verse 15. That has brought me to the tomb. But I get up. That has brought me to the death on the cross. But I get up. My bones are out of joint. They stare at me. My garments, among them, they cast lots. Remember, they gambled over the vesture of Jesus. All I can say is David did a good job prophesying. David must have been an awesome prophet. A thousand years before there was ever such thing as a cross, a thousand years before there was ever such thing as a crucifixion by Roman soldiers and the Assyrians began to deal with it. 700 years before David spoke these words. And David said, not only is there going to be things happening, but his feet are going to be pierced. Hello. Look at verse 16. The dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have been closed on me. They pierce my hands and my feet. Nails in my hand. Nails in my feet. They pierce my hands and my feet. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14 says, nailing it to the cross. Nailed it to the cross. I want you to know when Jesus died on the cross, he nailed it. 
He nailed my eternal life. He nailed my victorious life. He nailed my future. He nailed sin and death to the tree and walked away victoriously, resurrected from the tomb after three days and three nights, leaving behind the worm juices turning to snow white after three days and three nights. Amen. Amen. Remember Thomas in John 20, verse 27, except I see the nail prints, except I see his hands, wounds in his hands, his side. I will not believe except I thrust my hand into his side. Now, it doesn't say nail prints, but Colossians does say nail. It was nailed to a tree, Colossians 2.14. Jesus did say to his disciples in John chapter 20, look at my wounds. Behold my hands and my side, my feet. Look at me. I'm resurrected from the grave. And he said, well, preacher, this part in verse 22, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation. I will praise thee. Hebrews 2, verse 12. Saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church. Will I sing praise unto thee? I mean, that's too good to miss. That's too good to miss. Look at Hebrews 2, verse 12. Too good to miss. I'm going to be done. Just, I'm going to read this verse, and then I'll be done. You say, you believe that, preacher? Don't you believe it? Yes, I'm saddened. That just gets me right here. <laughs> verse 6, but this is in Hebrews 2. But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou wast made a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor, didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under, his, under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. And he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man, for it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation or our salvation perfect through suffering for both he that sanctifieth and they that are sanctified are all of one for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Saying, I will declare thy name unto the, my brethren in the midst of the church. I will sing praises unto thee. That's exactly what Psalm 22 says. Wow. What an awesome God we serve. What a powerful God. Woo, what a powerful God. Jesus said, I am the bread of life so he could feed us. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life so he could take us home. He said, I am the way so we could know our way to heaven. He said, I am the resurrection, so he could get us out of the grave. 
He said, I am the water of life. I am the light of the world. I am the true vine. I am that I am. Before Abraham was, I am. But I'm going to go to a piece of wood. And like the crocus worm, I am a worm. And I'll be smashed under the wrath of God. And the blood red juices of Jesus Christ will ooze out on that tree. The blood would run down that cross into our life and into our hearts. Bloody. And after three days, the carcass, carcass worm, his juices will be snow white. Wow. Wow. I love it, I love it, I love it. Amen. I want to invite everybody to stand, and we're going to call out to the Lord. I hope you got something fresh, something new out of this. I hope you understand the greatness of this Psalm 22. You could preach for hours on this Psalm 22. You could preach for days and weeks and months. You could preach forever on Psalm 22. Because the prophet David told us exactly what was going to happen a thousand years from that time. Wow, what a prophet. David, what a king. But what a prophet. A thousand years before there was ever a crucifixion. A thousand years. And he described the crucifixion to a T, down to a T. He dotted every I, he crossed every T, he put every period and sentence, he put every comma, he put every expression. It was there in Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 23, John 19. It's all in Psalm 22. And when Jesus Christ arose from the tomb, he arose in what? White apparel. The angels come in what? White apparel. Because after three days, the resurrection, everything's made right and white and pure. Wow. What a great Psalm 22. The Psalm of Crucifixion. Josh is going to play and sing. I want to ask you, are you ready to meet the great I am? I am that I am. The great I am, the bread of life. The great I am, the resurrection and the life. Maybe you need to meet the I am a worm. Maybe you need to meet when Jesus became a worm so that you could become somebody. Maybe you need to just see what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And between verse 21 and 22, there was a resurrection. Why? Because he has heard my prayer. And the majestic power of the horns of the unicorn pulling and pulling and pulling and pulling. If the ox has to get its knees down in the mud, he pulls and he pulls with his knees and he pulls and he pulls until he pulls that which is stuck out. And Jesus pulled me out. I was stuck. If you're a Christian, you were stuck. 
but the horns of the unicorn. Was there ever a unicorn? I don't know. You'll have to ask Noah that one. But it isn't the unicorn here he's talking about. He's talking about the horns of the power of that ox, that animal, pulling me out of the dust of the grave. That's what he's talking about, the resurrection of Jesus. Josh going to play and sing. We want to invite you. Maybe you'd like to just come up here tonight and tell the Lord, I appreciate the I am the bread of life. I appreciate I am the resurrection life. I appreciate that you are the way, the truth, and the life. I appreciate that you are the I am, the true vine. I appreciate that you are the I am, the resurrection. I am all these great I ams. I appreciate the light of the world, the water of life. But maybe you'd like to come up here to the altar and say, I'm glad, Jesus, that it's said of you in Psalm 22. I am a worm. Can you imagine that? So that you and I could live forever. And oh, he rose again from the grave. And he didn't come out of that tomb a worm. And he didn't come out of that tomb bloody came out of that tomb white as snow brilliant in the light of God Josh go ahead